we are in a series called God With Us. Um, Christmas series is starting, and uh, because of the holidays and things being a little bit crazy, I think that it's good for us to remember that central truth that God came to be with us and that we're studying that this morning. So I'm going to pray, and then I'll kind of give you an outline of what we're doing, and then we'll jump in. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for us all this morning that you would come now and inquire to our minds and hearts and souls. And I pray for myself too, and even um, Jordan, that I guess the, the distraction of not having some things that normally work for us wouldn't um, keep our minds from the most important thing, which is thinking about who you are and what you've done, and proclaiming that and singing that with joy, <clears throat> transforming our hearts more and more each day to want to give you glory and that for everyone here <clears throat> that they would as well um, be changed by it that they would be overjoyed in the gospel and be so enthralled by the fact that you have come now to be with us that it wasn't that way but now you are with us and that you came and paid the price for us we love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we're going to do is, since we're, we're looking at God being with us, uh, we're going to, over the next three weeks or so, 7, 14, and 21, we're going to look at some Old Testament passages about God being with us. And then on uh, Christmas Eve, we're going to have um, a, a more New Testament kind of look at God with us, obviously, in the birth narrative. So today, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Exodus chapter 13 and 14. Um, that's where we're going to, that's where we're going to be. Exodus chapter 13 and 14. And um, that'll be kind of the bulk of time that we're going to spend. Now, being Christmas, uh, there's, there's a lot of things that happen, right? At Christmas time, a, a lot of new things perhaps for you, um, or, or maybe not. And there's an, it, it's an easy, easy distraction time. So just to give you an example, this, this year is the first year out of 16 years, my, my kids and my wife have been begging me for the entire time to put up Christmas lights outside. I, I've always thought that just, that's a big hassle. And then after it's over, you've got to take it all down and you've got to figure it out the next year when all the lights don't work and all this kind of stuff. Um, and so I've just I've, I've put it off as, as, as long as I can. And the kids have finally, finally, finally begged me. And then last year, uh, I was walking through Walmart in the garden section and the lights were like, nine, outdoor lights were like 90% off. And I was like, all right, fine, we'll get it. So I tried to get as much as I could. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but of course, I didn't buy enough. And so I've got to go back plenty of times this year. Um, and our, our neighborhood has a, a, a contest. So whoever has like the best house gets, I don't know, bragging rights or something, um, which is, you know, awesome, apparently, um, according to everybody in the neighborhood. And there's no way I'm going to win. Some of the houses, they, they're unbelievably lit up. And so um, that's, the, that's just one thing. There, there's... That's, that's a small thing, but perhaps you have other things. Like you just met somebody this year, you know, a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and you're, you're navigating what we're going to do for Christmas, and there's maybe been some animosity. Or just every year, whenever it's holiday time, uh, you've been married for 15 years, and every year when it's holiday time, it's always a little weird trying to figure out whose parents we're going to go to for Christmas, or we're going to stay home. It's finally time to stay home, or they're going to come here. There's all kinds of things that can happen, right? Um, and I think that because of that, uh, because life just happens over these last 12 months. And these, these Christmases that we have each year are a little unique that we can take our mind off the fact that the incarnation, the, 
God becoming man is the central reason why we celebrate Christmas. And the, one of the central truths of, the, of Christmas time is that God is with us. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. And so as we were talking about um, this idea of God being with us, we thought it would be good, a good practice for us to look in the Old Testament and look at three different passages over these next three weeks of kind of the central idea of God being with them. Now, God's being with them in these passages in a slightly different way than what we're going to see in the birth narrative um, on, on Christmas Eve. However, there's some things about it that we can certainly draw from from our lives. So we're going to look at Exodus chapter 13. You're, you might be familiar. I'll give you a little bit of heads up on, on what's going on. But in this particular passage, God with them, and, and the three passages we selected are visible representations of God being with them. They're not, it's not kind of like where the, we know God's with us because we, we walk through every day and we're doing stuff and we feel like he's with us. That's, of course, the, the idea. But in the Old Testament, in these three, three weeks, we're going to look at literally visual representations of God coming down in different ways. Today, we're going to be looking, if you look at Exodus 13, start at verse 17. We're going to see, maybe you have a little title. If you have the ESV, you have a little title. It says, Pillars of Clouds and Fire. That's where we're going to... That's where we're going to be today. We're going to see the, the visible, visible representation of God's presence or God being with them in um, Exodus 13 through pillars of cloud and fire. So we're, there's a good bit of text. We're going to read it and then we'll, we'll see it all. So it says, when Pharaoh let the people go. So we already know that song, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Huh. So we got, we got the, big, the big kind of narrative that's happened before, which is the Israelites had been moved over to Egypt um, because that's where the famine had led them to go get food. Joseph happened to be over there, you, you know, from Genesis fifty twenty. What, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Here he is. He's taking care of his family. They're all over there. They're living. Well, J Joseph was a second-hand man, uh, but whenever the king died, Pharaoh died, a new one came into power, and there's just millions of Israelites. And like, what are we doing with all these people? Um, there's a lot of them. And so they could just take over. We certainly don't want that. So we're just going to make them all slaves. And so in Egypt, and then all of a sudden, uh, all these Israelites were made slaves, and they didn't want to be slaves. After a while, they figured out, you know what? Um, our promised land, our real land is over there, uh, back in Israel. We're in Egypt. Let's not stay here and be slaves anymore. Let's leave. And you go through the whole plagues process. It takes a long time. But finally, uh, they, they, they get out of there. Um, well, while they're, they're making their way back, that's where we're kind of picking up in the story, is while they're making their way back. We haven't even seen the cool part. You're going to see the cool part today, which you're all familiar with. Um, especially, we got the new Moses movie coming out here sometime, which looks like it's going to be good. So, here we are at verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. So, there's this, there's this straight path, and instead of taking the easier straight path, God says, I'm not going to take you by the straight path. Instead, I'm going to take you a little bit longer around, uh, because... He, you're not ready to take the straight path because if you take the straight path, there might be some battles and you're so nervous having left slavery. As soon as a battle comes, you're like, forget this. I'm just going back to slavery. I'd, just be, I'd rather be here than stay out here in the wilderness and die. So he knows their hearts. He knows where they are. And so it says in verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. He doesn't want them to go back to slavery so the first thing you're going to see here, we're going to see three key ways that God is with us. 
three key ways that God is with us. We're going to see those actually right there in, in just this chapter 7, uh, 13. And then in 14, we're going to see it again. So the first way is this. And I even alliterated. I got real Baptist on y'all today. Uh, they're, all, they're all alliterated. So the first one is in 17. God is with us in patience. God is with us in patience. So he knows the hearts of the people. It's not up there. So the first way is God is with us in patience. I was t- turning around to make sure it's on the screen and there it wasn't. So in verse 13, 17, God is with us in patience. So he knew the people's hearts and he knew the fastest way to get it done. But instead of doing that, he's going to be patient with them because he knows their hearts aren't ready for that and he's going to take them the longer way. So he's going to be patient with their hearts because he knows, they wouldn't be re- he knows that they wouldn't be ready for war uh, or battle. So God takes them the longer way because he doesn't want them to run back to slavery. He doesn't want them to run back to slavery. And it's interesting how that kind of plays out because God is also, as we think about this, very pa- for those that are his children, for those that are his children... We know that he doesn't want us to continue in sin. And circumstances happen in our lives, and sometimes they happen, and we're like, why is this happening in my life? I wish that this wasn't. And I think it's the exact same principle, which is God is also patient with, just like he's patient with them, he's also patient with us. He wants our sanctification to happen, but sometimes our sanctification, our becoming more like Christ, is going to take us the long way. And the long way which might be more difficult, is the right way. And God's patiently letting us take the long way towards sanctification rather than the short. Because if we try to short-circuit it and go the short way, we ourselves would easily, just like the hearts of them, run back into slavery, into sin. And so the Lord doesn't want that for us. And so because of that, and this is not in all circumstances, but surely there's a principle being shown here, which is God is certainly patient with us. Um, Letting us take what would be seemingly the long way. And you wonder why in your life, why is this sanctification process taking so long? Why is it that this particular sin is so hard for me to kick? Why is it that by the power of the Spirit, I'm memorizing verses, and I just haven't seen it be defeated yet? Because the, the good news is that the Lord is patient with you. He's patient. And so God is, God's presence with us shows us continually that he's far more patient with you than you can imagine. Certainly more patient with you than probably you are with yourselves. Way more patient with you than you are with others. But he's patient with you. God's very patient. So that's one of the first things that we see. God's presence with us displays to us his patience. If you go to verse 18, you're going to see another, another one. It says, but God led the people around. God led the people around by the way of the, the wilderness towards the Red Sea. The fact that he decided to lead them around and not go the one way, not just displays his patience, but also because he knew that they weren't ready for battle yet, um, this is a way to protect them. If they were to go, they would either lose that battle right away or run away, right? So he's also protecting them and taking them the long way, not just displaying patience, but also protecting. So God is with us in protection. God is with us in protection. One of the reasons that God is with us, even today, is to display his protection for us. The Holy Spirit in your life is constantly showing you that he is here for you in your life. One of the many reasons is for your protection, your spiritual protection. And here we see that in 13, 18, that God leads them around. And as he leads them around, this is displaying his protection. So, so far we've seen God is with us in patience. God is with us in protection. And then, uh, let's keep going. You're going to see a a little bit more. So, in verse 18, he says, Led them around towards the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. 
this is quite interesting. Moses took the bones of Joseph. So remember, Joseph was kind of the second-hand man back in Egypt. Um, it says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. So even as they're first leaving, and we can already see that inside the people's hearts, God's able to see inside the people's hearts in verse 17, just a slight bit of, of problems, they're gone. They're, like, they're shooting themselves back over to Egypt. So God already knows their hearts. But as God already knows their hearts, that there's a lot of trepidation about this, this trek they're taking. Um, he still makes them carry Joseph's bones with them. And it says, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. Calvin says that they're literally carrying Joseph's bones. And as they're doing it, Calvin says, um, even in their adversity, which is major adversity, from, from the very beginning, there's adversity for the people of Israel as they, as they leave Egypt. And, and there's plenty more to come. But Calvin, I love this insight. Even in their adversity, the memory of their promised deliverance had never departed from the people. So they're literally carrying the bones of Joseph as a visible display of the promised deliverance that's going to come to them. Quite interesting. Quite interesting that there's a, a promised deliverance coming to them and they're carrying the bones to constantly remind them as times might get tough that they're carrying these bones because God is going to deliver them from slavery. As you keep going in verse 20, it says, and they moved from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of wilderness. And the Lord went before them. Here it comes, the, the visible representations of the presence of God through the cloud, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. And the Lord went before them by day and a, and a pillar of cloud. So it's daytime, there's a cloud, he's right before us. And as we walk, we just, we just follow the cloud. Wherever the cloud goes, we just go. Um, and it says, to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them the light. So whatever time of day it is, we have the Lord, literally, the presence of God with us, leading us, either by cloud by day or fire by night. A lot of commentators kind of went into, we'll just really short circuit this idea, this discussion, but um, people were saying it was just one pillar and it just trying to transform a cotton from dust to dawn, or it was really two. I think it was two. It makes more sense that it's two. We'll see later on. Calvin agrees. He's way smarter than us. So um, let's, let's keep going. So it says, uh, the Lord went before them in a day by day and a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and a pillar of fire to lead them um, to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of cloud of fire by night did not depart before, from before the people. So we see here that God's sovereign presence is with them the entire time. So here we see um, as, as they need help and travel, they certainly don't know the way, especially the long way, that the Lord is literally putting his presence in there, either by cloud or fire. And so here we see God's provision, um, God with us as provision or as provider, as the one that's going to lead them. So the first one was patience, the second one was protection, and now we see as provision, provider. So God is with us as the provider. Here it's for travel companion or travel direction or leader. Um, Sailhammer, as he's looking at the, this pillar, he just, simple explanation in case you're totally unfamiliar with this. He says, the purpose of the cloud of the pillar of cloud was to guide the Israelites through the desert. It thus went before the people and they followed it through the wilderness. The purpose of the pillar of fire was to give them light at night. The text says that this is, this is interesting when it says in verse 21, and the Lord went before them by day. That before, um, Salehammer, he's 
Hebrew expert, he says that you can also read or translate that as with. The text says that the Lord went with the people in the cloud and fire. So this is, this is literally God with them, his presence with them. Now, this isn't the full-on um, presence of the Lord like he actually left heaven. This, this, in some mysterious way, the, cloud by, uh, the, the pillar by cloud and fire, we know that that's, that's representing the presence of God in some particular way, but it's not the fullness and all the fullness of the essence of Yahweh, but it still is representing him uh, being with them. And it says, later after the building of the tabernacle, the cloud and the fire rested on the tabernacle. So we know that this cloud does different things. Um, and this is where he, Sailhammer also says that it was too uh, when he says it's, it's straightforward reading of the text, how it show, shows that there's, that there's two different pillars, not just one. We'll see that here in just a second. So the third one that we saw here, or the third uh, God with us, or the third key of understanding this, uh, of God with us, is that God is with us in provision. Now, that's the first three, but I'm not done. I know you're thinking, well, I already got all three. I can, I can click my pen and, you know, pray for the person beside me. So don't do that. Um, well, do that, but still pay attention. So... Here we go, looking at this. It says, literally, God is with them. God is literally with them. Calvin says, Moses here proclaims another one of God's mercies. So this provision of God being with them, literally leading them either by cloud or fire, he says that this here proclaims another of God's mercies, that having redeemed his people, he was their constant leader and guide. And God chose to do this through a visible presence, through, through cloud or fire. Now, this is where it gets pretty interesting here. Because you see here, um, Calvin points out one other thing. I think this is awesome. It says in verse 21, that the Lord went through them by, by pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by pillar of fire to, to give them light by night. And then we see this, that they might travel by day and by night. The, those last few words there, verse 21. When you first read that, or at least when I did, I thought, man, that's, that's a serious like, travel guide. Like, no rest. I don't care how many people you have. Tons of people likely, um, no rest at all. We, we, we know if you flip back just to Exodus chapter 12, verse 37, it says, And the people of Israel sojourned from Ramesses to Succoth about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. So 600,000 men, the commentators were saying this is likely about 2 million people. 2 million. That's a lot. Like, that's a whole lot of people trying to travel from somewhere to somewhere. And... When two million people, in my experience, when two people travel, you have to stop a lot, especially if it's my little four-year-old. She's a member of the Teeny Winnie Bladder Club, and it's like every 15 minutes, we're stopping, right? But, so two million people, you read this, and you're like, travel by day, travel by night, kids don't get to rest, mom and dad don't ever get laid down, for real, God? This, Calvin points this out, that I think this is great. If they wanted to rest, of course they could, but the, but the point that, that's being made here, Calvin says, is that the flow of God's grace was continual. There's not ever a moment in this particular text where the flow of God's grace was not happening. There was always something visibly being displayed before them, literally before them, and they followed as a mercy of God to lead them. He says the flow of God's grace was continual since the token of his favor and protection, protection shone forth no less amidst the darkness of the night than the midday itself. So there was, there's no lessening of the display of the presence and mercies of God. It was a continual mercy to them. He was always with them. You need to know, you absolutely need to know that this is the exact same thing for you right now. I know it's not the same, but because you're a believer, 
in Christ, if you put your faith in Christ because of his death, burial, and resurrection, you have no less continual presence and mercy of this flow of grace to you as a believer in Jesus. Certainly, in this particular time, whether it's an absolute joy to go into the holidays for you or the holidays are going to be one of the most painful times for you, you need to realize that the Lord is in front of you, leading you, and you have never, there's never going to be a moment where you have less flow of His presence leading you through this time. God is with you and He is for you and you are His daughter and you are His son and He's with you. I think that's an important part to remember. So here we see these two pillars. Now we're going to get to 14.1. All right, so growing up, I was a child of the 80s, and we had, um, this was kind of became a phenomenon in the late 80s, and even in the early 90s, they'd take some old songs, and they would give it a little bit of a, you know, a little hip-hop beat, and then they would call it a remix. And so that's what we're going to do for numbers two and three. We saw numbers two and three as in saying, um, God with us in protection, God with us in provision. Now we're going to do a little bit of a remix on those two ideas because we're going to also see it in chapter 14. Um, and we're going to word it just a, li- just a slightly different. So let's look at verse, uh, chapter 14, verses 1 through 18. It says, tell the Lord, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of um, Pihai-Harath, between Migdol and and the sea in front of Basel Siphon. In seminary, they don't tell you how to pronounce these names. They just leave you up here to stand up here and try to do it in front of people, and you just look silly. Um, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And notice this continual presence of the Lord, even and working in the enemy's hearts, and to the negative for Pharaoh. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And we're going to come back to verse 4, but... If you, if you write in your Bible, this is something to underline because this is the primary reason God does anything. And I will get glory. That, that's the primary reason anything God, God does anything. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. I love just the simple obedience of, of verse four right there at the end. He tells them to do something and it says, and they did so. Verse five when the king of Egypt was told that the, that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this that we've done? We have let Israel go from serving us. So all of a sudden, you know, all those plagues that were happening, which were just awful, seven different plagues, they hated it. But all of a sudden they're gone. And he's like, oh my goodness, two million slaves doing all of our work. I got to do everything now. We got to figure this out. All of our economic, you know, muscle is gone. What have I done? We got to go get them. We got to go get them. And notice that when he comes here in verse 6, he's coming with a lot of armor, a lot of power. In verse 6 it says, So he made ready his chariot, and he took his army with him. So he's not just sending out a few guys to try to talk, talk him out of uh, leaving and coming back. But he's, sending his, he's going on his chariot. He's sending an army. And notice this. He took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers all over them. So there is coming a huge army to get these people. Huge army. And, and we already know from chapter 13 that they're not ready for battle. They're not ready for it at all. They, they, we know that the first sign of any kind of fight or battle, because they're so fresh into this travel scene, that they're done. They'll just say, okay, we'll go back. So something huge is going to happen, have to happen by God. Verse 8, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, overtook them and encamped by the sea 
by Pihiharoth in front of Baal Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted, this is, this is key, um, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And here they feared greatly. Notice who is the object of the fear in verse 10? We're going to juxtapose it to a, a verse at the very end. Who is the object of their fear? They feared the Egyptians. And then it says, whenever they feared the Egyptians, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, we read that, and if we don't keep going, we think, well, that's, that's smart. I mean, if there's anybody to cry out to, it's God. However, when we get into verse 11, not the right words to do. Not, not, not the good words. And they say, then they said to Moses, because they're always such big babies. Um, and they said to Moses, is this because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? In other words, okay, we know we're going to die. I guess there's not enough graves there. We're just going to have to die out here in the wilderness. Thanks a lot, Mr. Moses. And so they, they throw this kind of temper tantrum. What have you done to, in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now on the face of that little complaint, certainly that's true. But it has absolutely no faith in God. It'd be better for us to die in Egypt uh, or to stay in Egypt and be a slave rather than die out here. Or there's a third thing. How about neither, right? So they have no concept. So here we see that they just start complaining. They just start um, getting very upset (coughs) about what's going on. Calvin says, this cry neither arose from faith nor from serious and well-ordered affections. And so they have... They have no concept of how the Lord, even though they're carrying the bones of Joseph, the promise of Yahweh that he's going to deliver them, they just think, well, we're either going to die right here or go back and be slaves. That's that's the only two options I see. Nothing else can happen. No clue about how awesome God is. Um, If you keep going, it says, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff, stretch it with your hand over the sea and divide it. Now, we, we know this kind of story. You know, the, the big, huge white sea stretches out and divides it and they're able to walk through. That the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry land and I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they go in after them. I'm gonna make them so prideful that they're gonna come in after them. And notice again, here it is again in verse 17. And I will get glory, a repeating um, refrain of, of the Lord, making sure from verse 4 to verse 17 that everything he does is for his glory. Everything he does in, in your life is primarily for his glory, secondarily for our joy. So we go back to this. Um, and the Egyptians are, how we get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts and all of his chariots and all of his horsemen, this big, massive army that he's brought out, nothing from me. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Let's go back up to verse 13 because I want to make sure you see this. Um, and Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. This is it right here. Big army's coming. How is it that we're going to happen? We're not even anywhere near. We have such trepidation. We are nowhere near ready for battle. As soon as battle time comes, we're heading back to the hills. Notice this right here. The only way it's going to happen, verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. All you have to do is be quiet. So, remix. Number two, remix. If we're going to write number two, the first time we wrote is God with us in protection. We saw them that, but here it is again. But this time we're going to write, with, write God with us as protector. He is absolutely going to be the one who protects them. Because we already know that they've got no heart for it. So, 
all the ways that we can see that are right there in those verses that we just read. Verse 13, he will work for you today. He's gonna protect you. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. He is going to protect you. In verse six and seven, we see this huge enemy that's coming. All of, all of his chariots and all of his horsemen and all of these, all these army that's coming, 600 chosen chariots. The Lord's going to take out all the enemy, as he says um, in, in verse 14, I'm sorry, 13, you shall never see them again. I'm not just going to take a few of them out or you know, downgrade them. I am going to absolutely wipe them all out. I am going to be the one that protects you. And another way I'm going to do it is, I, as, the way that I'm going to protect you is I'm literally going to divide this huge water and protect you so that you can get all the way through it. I'm going to do it all. And the reason why I'm going to do it all, verse 4, verse 17, because I'm going to get glory for it. Everyone knows here in this particular situation, there was nothing you could do, Israel, and it was all because of me. And therefore, you get no glory. All you did was this, with your mouth closed. Like, yeah, I, don't, I don't know anybody that gets a whole lot of glory for that. That's it. So everyone's going to know that I was the one that protected you. And everyone's going to know, as it says in verse 18, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the all caps Lord, Yahweh, that I am the I am, is what it literally says in there. Everyone will know that I am the I am when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. So the second thing here is the remix is God with us as protector. It's the same thing for us. The way that we're supposed to operate in our lives is not try to be our own protector. It is not God's design for us to be the ones that are are in charge. But instead, he's the one who's the protector. And our posture is to be just as similar as them. Not fearful, not, not trusting God, but realizing, I just need to be quiet here and let the Lord do his work. He will fight for me. He will be the one that will do everything. And I just need to let him do it because he's far more capable at, at being my protector than I am. That's the first one. Or number two, remix. If we're going to keep going, you're going to see the second remix starting at verse uh, 19. Now, we're going to have to uh, untangle a little bit on verse 19 because it's pretty incredible. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel. Stop. Wait a second. I thought it was a pillar that was going before the people. Now we're seeing it's an angel of God. Yes, Moses, as he's writing this, is perfectly fine with interchanging the pillar being before them with also the angel. To him, these are synonymous things, if you will. He is perfectly fine with saying that the angel of the Lord is the presence of God. And it's not just an actual, like, angel. Instead, it is God. I'll show you why I think this. Um, If you were here with us last year when we were doing some of this work, um, in in the book of Genesis, verse, let's see here, chapter 22, chapter 22, we see another visit of an angel. In in chapter 22, verse 11, this is at the sacrifice of Isaac. We see in verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, and then we also see it again in verse 15, and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. Now this is a visit of, I believe, the pre-incarnate Christ. This is just another visit of the pre-incarnate Christ. And here also, whenever we see this in verse 19, and I'm going to 
I'm going to give you a little bit more rock-solid um, grounding than just saying that it is, and you just have to accept it. I'm going to give you a little bit more. But here we see also in verse 19, the angel of God. So we already know in Genesis that that's a phenomenon that occurs, an angel visits. And here we see it again, that there's a, there's a visit of um, the, the pre-incarnate Christ. Now, why is it that I say that this, this verse 19 represents God as in Jesus? All right. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. And as he's writing to the Corinthian church, he just kind of um, references this particular event. And as he do, does it, there's a, there's a little progression that he uses where he argues that it's, that it's actually Jesus. So just a side note, this is kind of extra theological fun for everybody who, who doesn't just want to say, I don't believe you, Fudd. Well, let me show you, and we'll tie it into it and show you why it actually matters. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, notice at, at verse 1, this, this progression that's happening. 1 Corinthians 10.1. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers, the Israelites, were all under the cloud. So here we see that he's referencing this particular story in Exodus 13.14. They were under the cloud. They were following it. And it says, and all passed through the sea. We're about to read that in just a second when they pass through, when God divides the waters. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So we know that they're walking through the water, kind of a representation of, of salvation. Um, doesn't mean you have to be baptized to be saved. This, side note, that's way down the road. We'll, we'll keep going here. And notice this. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. Okay, and what was that? What, what are you talking about? For they drank from the spiritual rock, okay? And then if you keep going down, it says the rock was Christ. Okay, they drank from the spiritual rock, and that rock is Christ. That's a rock, Fudd. Um, that's not an angel. That's not a pillar. But watch this. There's a little phrase right there, right after the spiritual rock. Watch this. And they all drank from the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock. Watch this. That followed them. That followed them. okay. So all of a sudden, we're talking about this, this cloud that followed them. But wait a second, Fudd. I remember the, the scriptures here because what I read, what we all read is that the cloud was before them and they followed it, not that it followed them. Well, that's great because we're about to see where the cloud literally gets behind them and starts following them and not leading. Watch. So verse 19, then the angel of the Lord who was going before the host of Israel, watch this, moved and went behind them. So this, this makes total sense when you think about it. You've got the Egyptians following them, and you've got Israel shaking in their boots, scared to death, like they're about to kill us. What are we going to do? And the cloud's in front of them. Well, what could we put in between them to make it so that they can't see each other? Well, it ha- happens to be that we have this handy-dandy cloud here that the Lord has created to lead them that he just takes there and puts it there, right there between them, and all of a sudden... The, the Egyptians, as they're looking, are like, I can't see anything anymore. You ever dri- driven, and all of a sudden you hit a cloud patch, especially at night, and you're like, I can't see anything. I've got to go down to like three miles an hour. You know, I've got to be the granny. I've got to drive. I'm, I can't see anything. Same idea here. Um, no offense to granny drivers. So here to verse 19, it says, The angel of the Lord, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved before them and um, stood behind them. Notice even in just that verse 19 that Moses is totally fine with calling the angel of the Lord and the pillar the same thing. He says, the angel of the Lord who was going before the host moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved before them and went behind them. So he says that those are the same things there. The pillar is the angel, which is Jesus who followed them. He is the rock. 
He is the one that was pre-incarnate. This is, means before he was actually incarnate. This is, this is just more proof that Jesus is God, the eternal God forever, with his people always leading the Israelites and leading us. So here we go. Stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel, and there was a cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near all the other, um, near the other all night. So now we know that the Egyptians can't get close to Israel. They can't get close to them. Um, verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove back the sea. The Lord drove it, not Moses, by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, <clears throat> the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. I mean, I, just, I wish we could have been there, right? Can you even imagine this huge ocean going all the way up and there's just huge walls and you're just like, I'm going to walk through that? I mean, I saw uh, Interstellar, or whatever it's called, the 1,600-foot walls, and that made them pretty nervous. That makes me kind of nervous too. Uh, can you, they didn't see Interstellar, obviously, but when you see that, you're going through, you're like, man, that would... That would make me a little bit nervous seeing these huge walls. I mean, I would think that I would be scared. However, the Lord's done a lot of things thus far. And so we're going to see some pretty amazing work that happens in their hearts a little bit later. So they're going to, they're going to trust God. The Egyptians, and also I guess they're going to run from the Egyptians. They're scared. Verse 23, the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And when we see that all, we literally know it means all because back over here it says... That, that you shall never see them again, any of them. And so he's going to take them all out here. So, verse 24, And in the morning, watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian for- forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. Um, so as they're going through that, that same ground that the Egyptians went on, all of a sudden it's harder to start driving through it. Maybe the water kind of started coming up, whatever, it doesn't matter. They threw them in a panic. They're getting a little bit freaked. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord, here it is, fights for them against the Egyptians. The Lord is the one that's fighting. 26, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians. So by this time, Two million Israelites had gone through huge walls. They're on the other side, and the Egyptians are coming. Big cloud kind of in between them. They can't necessarily see anything. Moses says, go ahead, or God says to Moses, go ahead and close it. Stretch your, your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. How dead were they? Watch this. And the Egyptians fled into it. The Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and all the horsemen. So it wasn't just like, you know, kind of like a little wave pool or something. Like this was like huge, deep, deep, deep waters came over them and just killed them all. And it says, The waters returned, covered the chariots and horsemen. All of the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. Not one. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the water, the waters being a wall to them on the right and left. Thus, the Lord saved Israel. The Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And this is just even more graphic. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. There were so many that were just washing up on the seashore. Just a visible reminder that he is the one that fought for them. 
He is the one that provided. So the remix is God as provider. That's, that's the rest of chapter 14. Remix is God with us as provider. He gives them, um, he, a, a first way he provides is he puts this huge cloud in between them and kind of blankets the vision of them being able to see the Israelites. That's one way he provides. Another way he provides is he provides safety through the water as they're walking. He provides this, this path that gives them uh, gives them life. He provides the pillars so that they can see. The Lord provides safe passage through there, and the Lord provides salvation to his people. The Lord saved them. The Lord, God with us means, and without a question, God is the one that gives us salvation. The God is the one that provides salvation. And then whenever this happens, the enemy wants to retreat. They finally understand their opponent in verse 25 when they say, Clogging their, the Egyptians, let us flee before the Israel, the Lord fights for them. All of a sudden, we realize who our opponent is, but it's too late. And then we get to down here to verse 31. We're going to juxtapose verse 31, as I said, to verse 10. That means, you know, put them up here next to each other and examine something. So finally, we get to where they're, they're all dead on the seashore. Now watch this, verse 31. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. Remember verse 10? Verse 10 said... The Egyptians, I'm sorry, the Israelites, Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. So in verse 10, they look at the Egyptians, and the object of their fear is man. In verse 31, the Israelites saw the work of the Lord, and the object of their fear, and this is a reverent fear. This isn't like, you know, they watched Freddy Krueger or something, and now they're just scared, right? This is a reverent fear. So we see a juxtaposition of verse 10 and 31. Both of them have fear. One is in man, one is of God. One is wrong, one is right. And then it says this, verse, verse 10 over here, when they feared man, what did they do? They cried out in a, in a disrespectful way to the Lord. Why'd you bring us out here? We're all just going to die. Not good. But in verse 31, when they don't fear man, but they fear God, notice what the, the outcome is. When they, whenever it says they feared <clears throat> the Lord because of what he's done, verse, the end of verse 31, and they believed, this is faith, they faithed in the Lord. This is literally how it should be read. They had faith. We don't have a, a verb that does that. And they believed in the Lord and his service. And so this doesn't just mean that they believed that God is alive. They believed that God could help. This is literally believing faith. This is the same idea that God shows us this exact same thoughts in, in chapter 15 of Genesis. It says in chapter 15 of Genesis, talking about Abraham, same verbiage, same words, same ideas. As Moses is writing, he's warning us to remember Genesis 15, 6 and say, oh, it's the same thing here. Genesis 15, 6. Whenever the Lord um, did work for Abraham, it says and he, the Lord, that Abraham believed the Lord and he counted to it to him as righteousness. That's, that's salvation. That's justification. That's, that's, that's saving faith, if you will. And so in the same way here, they no, longer, they no longer have fear of man, but they have fear of God, proper understanding of who he is, and the Lord's getting glory through all this, and now they believe, and it's the same idea. We have total trust and faith in you. Now, certainly, there's going to be ups and downs as we keep going. <laughs> if you read this, these people are whiny, whiny, whiny. Over and over. They have all kinds of failures. But in this moment, Moses is wanting us to see God got all the glory. The Lord's the one that fought for their salvation. And because the Lord fought for their salvation, they saw it and they have saving faith now in, in the Lord. Now, 
I want us to look at those three things, my, my awesome alliteration of P's, patience and protection and provider, and we want to examine Exodus 13 and 14 through the lens of the gospel because there's, there's no difference here, I don't think. And, and this, this, whole, this whole narrative is just full of gospel. In the same way, as God was patient, God is patient with us. As it says in 2 Peter uh, 3, 9, it says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, which is to give salvation to his children, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Why is he patient towards us, to those who would become his children? He says it right there. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so the Lord is patient towards us, God with us as patient, waiting for us to finally repent and put our faith in him. God is patient with us, as it says in Second Peter, but God also protects us in that he saves us from ourselves and our sins. We see this in the actual birth narrative of Matthew chapter 1, where it says um, that Jesus was being born uh, and as he was being born, it tells us exactly why he was being born. Starting at verse 21, she shall bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. This is God acting as a protector. The, their sin is going to kill them and they need protection from me. And it says, um, this took place because it was spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son. And look, they literally tell us, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us means salvation. God with us means salvation from our sins. God with us means literally God protecting us from ourselves, from our sin. Another place that he actually tells that to us, one of my favorite texts is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It tells us, the reason why Jesus was made was for our protection. Verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. The reason why Jesus was made was so that he would become sin for us, thereby giving us the protection from our sin that we needed. We're going to see even more. Not only does God is patient with us in the gospel, not only is God protecting us in the gospel by giving us his son to be the savior of our sins, but also God provides for us in his son. I mean, this is the most common text you've ever heard for this. John 3, 16. <clears throat> and God providing for us, literally his son. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave, he provides. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Paul says something very similar in a, in a different way in Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 23, I'll start. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so we know that we need some kind of person to come and save us because we're all sinners. And <clears throat> further, we're all justified by his grace as a gift. So God provides this, this grace gift to us through redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward or gave or provided this man Jesus as a propitiation, the, the one that would bear the full brunt of the wrath of God for you. We deserve that full wrath, but instead, Jesus was provided as the one that would take the full wrath for us on the cross because of our sin, thereby we don't have to. We put our faith, now we have a reverent fear of God, and we believe in him, we have our faith in him, and just like the Israelites receive salvation, so do we. He put forward his own son by, um, as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So even in the Old Testament, the story of um, deliverance for the Israelites still has this great gospel 
centrality to it. And I think that when we understand this properly, or at least begin over the holidays to start realizing the point of God being with us, the point of celebration is verse 4 and verse 17 in chapter 14. The point is not you buying your kids Christmas presents. That's that's an outcome, and it's fun. I love giving them presents, and I love seeing how excited they get. But the primary point of our celebrating God with us is so he will get glory, verse 4. Verse 17, so he will get glory. And what happens? Immediately after this happens, what happens? If you look at verse 15, the Israelites break into praise. They break into praise. Salehammer says, it's only natural that the Israelites would break out into a song of praise in the next chapter. Look at verse 3. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. The Lord fought for us. This is the exact same thing for us. The Lord is a man of war for us in that he defeated Satan's sin and death for us. And the only natural outcome for us then, just like them as they break into a a song of praise, is that we would break into a song of praise and in verse 4 and verse 17, give Jesus all the glory. So let's do that. I'm going to pray and then we'll just stand. God with us. Give him the glory for this great salvation that he has accomplished for us in Christ Jesus by sending his son. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's living and active. Thank you that it doesn't matter where we read, whether it's Leviticus or Exodus or Revelation or a gospel or a letter, that it's your word and your power is there because the Holy Spirit has divinely written the word for us through man. And that when we read it, it has nothing to do with me, but everything to do with you. And this word should cause us to break out into praise because of this great gospel that we have. That you are patient with us as sinners, wanting us to come to repentance. And that you protected us by giving us your son. And you provided your son so that we would not have to perish and fill the full wrath of you forever, but instead you put it on Jesus. And now we are the full recipients of the continual grace of God, never ceasing, never ending, God with us forever, all for your glory. Be with us now as we worship. And may our response match that truth. I pray this in Jesus' name.